You know, Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. For many of you, it's your favorite time. And I have fond memories growing up. Christmas at my house, my parents went overboard with us, and it got me to thinking, have you ever received a gift that you did not want or did not care for? Now, as a kid, you probably got clothes when you wanted toys, but maybe as an adult, you were given a gift, and when you unwrapped that gift, you thought to yourself, eh, I don't really want this, it's not relevant, you don't like it, and so you do one of two things. Either you put it in a closet and it's forgotten and it's left there, or if you're really honest, don't lie, you will rewrap it and you will give it to somebody else. We've all done that before. Well, listen, the Bible makes it clear that God has given each one of his children spiritual gifts, and he wants us to unwrap our gifts and use them. So I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. This morning, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11, and the title of this message is Unwrapping Your Gift. Next week, we're going to launch back into 2 Timothy. We're going to start that book and go through it verse by verse. But for this morning, we're looking at this particular topic of unwrapping your gift. Now, remember, if you were with us several weeks ago, we went through the book of Haggai, and Haggai... The theme of that book was doing the work of the Lord or serving God. And for Israel at that juncture in history, their assignment from God was to rebuild the temple. That was doing the work of the Lord for them at that particular juncture. But you know what? For you and I, we are called like ancient Israel to do the work of the Lord. And we do that one of several ways. Number one is spontaneously serving other people as needs arise when you and I are available. And by the way, we can't meet every need. You're not called to serve everybody because you only have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of energy. But we do it spontaneously. Furthermore, we serve the Lord by exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given us. That's how we do the work of the Lord. Now, Peter is writing to a group of beleaguered Christians who are suffering for their faith. Many of them are being persecuted. And so Peter says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Peter believed that Jesus was going to come in his lifetime. The next event on God's divine timetable, Peter believed in the apostles, was the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so Peter is telling these beleaguered Christians that are suffering, hey, Jesus' return is right around the corner, and he tells them three things that they are to do. First of all, he tells them that because Jesus Christ is coming back, they are to pray. Notice, if you will, verse 7, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. In other words, we are to press into God. We are to be praying Christians individually and collectively. Secondly, he says, because Christ is coming back, we are to love one another. In verse 8 and 9, he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And one of the ways that we can love other people is to show them hospitality. He says in verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. And then he gives a third and final response, and here is where we want to focus in on this morning as it pertains to unwrapping our spiritual gift. He says we are to serve one another. Notice verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter says because Jesus Christ is coming back, we are to pray we are to love, and he says we're to take the spiritual gifts that God has given us, and we are to serve one another. 
Now, you may ask the question, what exactly is a spiritual gift? If Peter is exhorting us to use our spiritual gifts in light of the second coming, what is a spiritual gift? Simply defined, a spiritual gift is a channel that the Holy Spirit works through so that you can serve other people. It is a channel or a divine capacity. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 calls it a manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, when you and I use our spiritual gifts, it's the Spirit manifesting himself through us. I had a professor, he called spiritual gifts exaggerations. Why an exaggeration? Well, one of the spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible is service. We're all called to serve, but someone with the spiritual gift of service is going to do it in an exaggerated way. We're all called to give. That's the Bible enjoins us to do that. But someone with the gift of giving, and that is a spiritual gift, the gift of giving, is going to do it in an exaggerated way. We're all called to exhort and encourage, but someone with that gift is going to do it in an exaggerated way. And so spiritual gifts are channels, they're manifestations, or they're exaggerations. Now, what does the Bible say about spiritual gifts? Let me tell you what they are not, because this will help further define for us what the gifts are. First of all, spiritual gifts are not talents. They are not natural talents. Natural talents you are born with. Someone may say, well, I have the spiritual gift of cooking. No, cooking is not a spiritual gift. It is a natural talent. Someone says, well, I have, the, I have the spiritual gift of playing football or basketball or baseball. No, athleticism is a talent. So spiritual gifts are not natural talents. Don't confuse the two. They often overlap, but they are distinct. Furthermore, spiritual gifts are not offices in the church. Many times people will say, well, I have the spiritual gift of being an elder. That's not a spiritual gift. That's a role. I have the spiritual gift of being a deacon or deaconess. No, that's a role that is not a spiritual gift. I'm an usher. That's my spiritual gift. No, that's a role in the church. And then finally, some people confuse spiritual gifts with the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. In other words, the Spirit of God produces that fruit in our life when we walk in the Spirit. That's distinct from spiritual gifts. I'm to exercise my spiritual gifts, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, but spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit are not the same. And so it's important that we understand these distinctions. Now, as we embark upon this text in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, Peter is going to give us several components about spiritual gifts. First of all, I would have you note the provision of spiritual gifts, the provision of spiritual gifts. Notice, if you will, verse 10. He says, as each one has received a special gift. Stop right there. Notice what he says. Each one of us has received a gift. There is the provision of spiritual gift. God has provided every one of his children at least one spiritual gift. You say, well, when was I given my spiritual gift? You were given your gift at the moment of salvation by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, Paul talking about gifts says this, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He, that is the Spirit, distributes them to each one. There it is, just as He determines. 
Now listen, we know from other portions of Scripture that you and I were given the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. And so, at the moment of salvation, not only was I forgiven, not only was I justified, sanctified, glorified, and regenerated, but I was given spiritual gifts. So the issue is not whether you have a spiritual gift. The issue is whether or not you have discovered your gift and you are using it. When I was in seminary, I remember Laura and I attended this small country church in South Carolina, and I was doing a class on spiritual gifts, and a lady walked up to me, and she said, Mike, she said, this is foreign to me. She says, I've never heard about the topic of spiritual gifts. She said, I didn't even know I had a gift. And I was amazed. Now, obviously, she either was not listening or the pastor wasn't doing his due diligence in teaching about spiritual gifts, but she wasn't even aware that there was such a thing as spiritual gifts, and she was uh, taken back by that. The Bible makes it very clear that we all have at least one spiritual gift. Now, you may ask, well, how do I find my spiritual gift? How do I discover it? Well, there are several things mentioned up on the screen there that will help you discover your gift. First of all, what are your desires? If God has provided every one of his children a spiritual gift, ask yourself, what do I like to do? What are my desires? You know, when I recommitted my life to Christ, one of the things that I love to do is tell other people about Jesus. So that naturally pointed to the fact that probably I had the gift of evangelism. And then I heard some other people teach and I thought, well, maybe I can do that. And I got up and I taught and someone said, hey, you could teach. And then I started to desire it more and more. God works through desires when he wants to direct you. Another thing to help you discover your spiritual gift is what do other people say about you? You know, our perception of ourselves and other people's perception are different. If you think you have the gift of teaching and no one has the gift of listening, you don't have the gift of teaching. <laughs> and so ask other people, how do you perceive me? Because listen, there and listen, we, we've all come across people that think they're gifted in an area and they're really not. And it's difficult to try to tell them they're not gifted in that area. It reminds me of a pastor that uh, basically pastored a church that had a choir, and the choir director uh, was getting complaints from a number of the people because there was a man by the name of Mr. Jones on the choir who did not have the gift of singing. He couldn't sing. And so people on the choir gave him hints that this is not your gift, but he wasn't picking up the hints and he decided not to step out down from the choir. And so finally, the choir director came to the pastor in total exasperation, and he said, look, you gotta help me. This guy, Mr. Jones, thinks he's gifted at singing. He's not, he really can't sing, and I've got a rebellion. If we don't deal with this guy, I'm gonna have a number of choir people that are gonna resign and quit. So the pastor said, all right, I'll deal with it. So he went to Mr. Jones, and he said, Mr. Jones, I have to have a talk with you. So he said, look, I'm gonna be blunt, and I'm gonna directly to the point. You need to step down from the choir. He said, why? He said, um, you don't have the gift. He says, a number of people have told me you cannot sing. He said, so what? He says, I've had 50 people tell me you can't preach and you're still at this church. <laughs> Please do not tell me I can't preach, all right? <laughs> all right, experiment with the gifts. In other words, start experimenting. Listen, it's better to get involved and do something then not do anything. And of course, take a gifts test, which we're going to offer in class 301 next month. And so Peter makes it very clear that God has provided spiritual gifts to every one of his children. Secondly, Peter notes for us not only the provision of gifts, but the panoply of spiritual gifts. Now, you may say, what's that word panoply? It simply means a collection or an array. 
In other words, God has given his children an array of spiritual gifts. There's a variety of spiritual gifts. And he uses two words in this particular text to show us in verse 10, the panoply of spiritual gifts. Notice, if you will, verse 10, he says, as each one has received, here it is, a special gift. In other words, you and I have at least one gift. The Greek word says the gift. It's a special gift. And then he says, speaking of the panoply of gifts, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, the gifts are manifold. There's a panoply of them. There's an array of them. There's a collection of them, as we'll see in a minute. And so Peter here shows us the panoply of gifts by using two words, the gift and the manifold gifts. Now, what does he mean by the gifts? The gift. The gift is referring to the collection of gifts that you have. I would call it your gift mix. Your gift mix are those combination of gifts that you have. For example, I'll use myself to illustrate this. I have the gift of teaching, evangelism, and leadership. That is the collection of gifts that I have. And what the Spirit of God does when he gives you the gift, it is the collection of gifts that you have that make you uniquely you. All of us here are like spiritual snowflakes. We're all unique. And listen, there are thousands upon thousands of men across the U.S. who have the gift of teaching, who have the gift of evangelism, and have the gift of leadership. But guess what? We're all different because we all have different personalities. We have different styles. How I lead is going to be different than someone else. How I teach is going to be different. How I evangelize is going to be different. But you see, we're all unique. So you probably have the gift, a combination of gifts. Now, one will dominate over the other. Teaching is my dominant gift. I have evangelism and leadership as my supporting gifts. So that's part of the panoply of gifts. Then there is what he says, the manifold grace of God. What does the word manifold mean? Interesting word in the Greek. We get the word polka dot from this. The word polka dot, you know what a polka dot is. It refers to different shapes and sizes and colors. And you see, God has given the body of Christ manifold gifts, different shapes, different sizes, as it were. There's a variety of gifts. Now, Peter, in talking about the panoply of gifts, divides them into two categories. There are two categories of gifts that you can fit all the gifts. They're mentioned in verse 11. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So he divides all the gifts into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. So what are these speaking gifts and serving gifts? Let me show you the panoply of gifts listed up on the screen. We don't have time to define each of them, but here are the speaking gifts that he mentions. Wisdom, knowledge, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, exhortation, leadership, evangelism, teaching, encouragement. Some would say this is a talent. Others would say it's a spiritual gift. And then, of course, intercessory prayer. Some would say this is not a gift. Others would say it is. Now, these are the speaking gifts. Then he goes to the serving gifts, service and helps, faith, giving, miraculous powers. Then you have healings, mercy, craftsmanship, and then hospitality. And so Peter takes the panoply of gifts 
and he divides them into two categories. He said there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts, and he calls it the gift. The gift is the combination of gifts that you have that are unique to you. For example, in painting, you have seen somebody paint and they have a palette of paint. And what they do is they take the variety of colors and they mix them together and they paint a portrait. And that's exactly what the Spirit of God did with each one of us. We all are unique. The Spirit of God took a little bit of this gift, a little bit of this gift, and a little bit of this gift and formed it for you. That's why it's the gift for you. And it's the manifold grace of God. He has a variety of gifts that he gives to the body of Christ. And so we need to use those gifts. Now, some of those gifts are more functional today than they were in the first century. Miraculous powers, healings, prophecy. You know, there's a debate among Christians how much of that still carries over today. I don't want to go into that discussion. But the gifts are given to the body of Christ. And listen, you know why God has given all the panoply of gifts? Because he wants all of us to use them in a unique fashion because each one of us has a role to play. You know, if you study a beehive, they have an interesting social structure. In one beehive, typically there are about 80,000 bees. And they all have a unique assignment. And you know what their role is? Their role is to serve the queen bee. For example, you have the forager bees. They collect the food from the outside world. You have the guard bees. They protect the entrance to the hide. You have the undertaker bees. They remove the dead bodies from the hive. You have the water bees. They bring water to regulate the moisture in the beehive. You have the plaster bees. They repair the beehive when it is broken down. Then you have the fan bees. These are the ones that fan, listen to this, a scent for the lost bees so they can find their way back to the hive. And then you have, interestingly, the political bees. They get involved in the politics of the beehive. They are better known as Huckabees. Some of you got that, some of you didn't. So listen, each one of them has a role to play in serving the queen bee. Listen, we serve the king. And we each have a role to play in the hive of God's body, in the hive of the church. We each have a role to play, and that's why God has given the church the panoply of spiritual gifts. So we've seen the provision of spiritual gifts. We've seen the panoply of spiritual gifts. Thirdly, I would have you note the practice of spiritual gifts. Notice, if you will, verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, circle these two words. What does he say? Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen, it's one thing to have a spiritual gift. It's another thing to employ it. It's another thing to serve God. And you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25? We all know the passage if we've been a Christian for a while. Jesus said that we are not to bury our gifts and our talents because there's coming a day where we're going to have to give an account. And too many people in the church and the body of Christ are burying their spiritual gifts. There's a violinist. He's well known. He's now deceased. His name is Fritz Kriesler. Fritz Kriesler lived in the late 1800s into the 1900s, and he was known to be a world-class violinist. And he also made a lot of money from the concerts that he did, and he was known to be a very generous man. He gave a lot of money away to other people. Well, one day he came across this unique violin. It was very exquisite. He wanted it, but he didn't have the money. It was very expensive. And so he decided to raise the money, 
And he went to this particular gentleman and he said, I want to buy that violin. And the man said, I don't longer have it. Some collector bought it. He said, well, can you tell me who the collector is? So the man told him and Fritz Kriesler went to this collector, knocked on his door, and he said, uh, I heard you bought this particular violin. He said, I would like to buy it from you. And the man said, it is not for sale. He said, out of all my collection, he said, it is my most prized possession. Well, of course, Fritz was a very disappointed man, and he walked away, and then an idea came to his mind. He said, let me see if I can play the violin one last time. And so he turned to the man and he said, before you consign this violin into disuse, he said, could I play it one more time? And the man said, well, sure. And so he picked up his thing and he began to play the violin. And the music was so beautiful, the collector said to Fritz, why don't you go ahead and just keep the violin? He said, I'd rather you use it to bless the world than have it stay in my collection in disuse. And that's exactly what a lot of Christians are not doing. They're not using the violin of their spiritual gifts. It's often a collection item. It's sitting collecting dust. They're not using their gifts. And what does Peter say here? He says the motivation to use our gifts, he says, is because we are good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know what a steward is? A steward is someone who manages what someone else owns. You and I don't own our spiritual gifts. God has graciously given them to us, and we are called to steward our spiritual gifts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it is required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful. We are called as stewards of God to be faithful to what God has given us. Years ago, when I was in high school, back in the 1980s, my parents decided that they were going to take a trip to Europe. And I remember before they went, they didn't want to leave the house to me, my brother, and my sister. And so my relative had to come over and stay with us at our house. And I remember before my dad left, he said to me, he said, now, son, this house is not yours. This is my house. Everything in it is mine. He said, we're going on a trip away and we're going to come back. And I expect that when I get back, this house is going to be in one piece. You are to manage the house for me. My parents didn't want to come home and the dishes are undone. The house is a mess. It's torn down. It's destroyed. You know why? Because I was a steward. My parents had entrusted to me the house. It's not your house. You are to manage it for us. And that's exactly what God says about our spiritual gifts. We are to manage our spiritual gifts for the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? You got to practice your gifts. If you're sitting here and you never practice your spiritual gifts, you are not what? You are not using your gifts to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter here tells us about the provision of spiritual gifts, the panoply of spiritual gifts, the practice of gifts. Fourthly, I would have you note the purpose of spiritual gifts, the purpose of spiritual gifts. Notice, if you will, what he says in verses 10 and 11. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it. In serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Notice the purpose of spiritual gifts here is to serve one another. My gift is not for my ego. My gift is not for my own self-fulfillment. My gift is not to make money off of. My gift is to serve other people. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, here it is, for the common good. 
Listen, when you and I use our spiritual gifts, it is to serve one another. It is not for my own self-aggrandizement. It is to serve other people. And see, I need your gift and you need my gift. That's why Paul says that we are interdependent upon one another. We are not dependent upon one another. We're not to act independent of one another, but rather we are interdependent upon one another. Listen, when you don't use your gift, the body of Christ suffers. When I don't use my gift, the body of Christ suffers. That's why we're to work together. You know, there's this fictitious story told about the organs of the body that were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. And here's how the argument went. All the, argu- all the organs were having a meeting together, and they were arguing about who was going to be in charge. I should be in charge, said the brain, because I run all the body systems, so without me, nothing would happen. I should be in charge, said the blood, because I circulate the oxygen all over, so without me, y'all would waste away. I should be in charge, said the stomach, because I process food and give all of you energy. I should be in charge, said the legs, because I carry the body wherever it needs to go. I should be in charge, said the eyes, because I allow the body to see where it goes. And then finally, I should be in charge, said the large intestines, because I am in charge of waste removal. All the other parts of the body left, (laughs) and they insulted the intestines. So in a huff, the large intestines shut down. Within a few days, the brain had a terrible headache. The stomach was bloated. The legs got wobbly. The eyes got watery. And the blood was toxic. You say, what's the point of this fictitious story? It's simply to say this. All parts of the body are needed. One is not more important than the other. What I do on Sunday morning, what others do on the worship team is not more important than what you do. Your gifts are just as valid. Everyone has a role to play within the body of Christ. We are interdependent upon one another. And that's why when you don't use your gift, the rest of the body suffers. Well, Peter gives us a fifth principle here on spiritual gifts in terms of unwrapping it, and that is the power of spiritual gifts. The power of spiritual gifts. Notice, if you will, verse 11. He says, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength of which God supplies. Notice here that God is the one who gives us strength to use the spiritual gifts in which he has given us. We are to use our gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not to exercise them in our own strength. And listen, it's very easy to serve God in the flesh. You could do a lot of things in the flesh, but when it comes to eternity, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's why we do what we do in the power of the Holy Spirit. When I get up to preach, every Sunday I'm in my office on my knees saying, God, I have nothing to offer these people. Apart from you, I am nothing. It is your spirit that flows through me, that works through me in order to accomplish your work. It is the power of the spirit. It is not my strength. Marty came by my house about a month ago, and he showed me these electric bikes that him and Rachel got. Laura has been mentioning to me recently, since we live near a a trail, we need to get some bikes so we can go bike riding. Well, I was thinking about an electric bike, and what's interesting about the electric bike that Marty had bought was 
You could pedal and do it in your own strength, but you could also kick in the electricity and it will propel you forward, or you could do both. You could pedal while the electricity is going through so that you're doing both at the same time. And that's a picture of how we use our spiritual gifts. God is not going to force you to use your gifts. He's not going to make you get up. He's not going to make you sign the clipboard. He's not going to make you decide that you're going to serve. You have to exercise your will. But listen, you also have to kick in the electricity, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a dual effort. It's all of God, but it's all of you. And so we are responsible to use the gifts that God has given us. We have to evaluate our life and say, hey, I'm a steward of the gifts that God has given me, but I can't do it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. I must do it in his strength. And so Peter here says the power of spiritual gifts is the strength that God supplies. Well, there's one final principle that he gives us in unwrapping our spiritual gifts, and that is this, the praise of spiritual gifts, the praise of spiritual gifts. Notice, if you will, verse 11. He says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter here says in verse 11 that the ultimate purpose of spiritual gifts is the praise of Jesus Christ. We are to praise God for the gifts that he's given us. We're not responsible for our spiritual gifts in the sense that the Spirit of God is the one that has given them to us. That's why they're called grace gifts. We cannot earn them. We cannot deserve them. God has given them to us. So ultimately, whatever God accomplishes through us is to the praise and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, a lot of people use their spiritual gifts for their own praise and their own glory. They want to receive all the credit. It reminds me of some of the football games that I've watched over the years. Have you ever noticed how some players, when they engage in a great play, what they do is basically they push off from the other players and they want to act like this. They want the whole stadium to see them. And so they push off the players in order to magnify themselves. And that's what a lot of people do in the body of Christ. They want the credit. They want the glory. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what, did you, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you did receive it? In other words, God is the one who gets the glory because he's given us the gifts. They are grace gifts. And so what have we seen this morning as we've looked at unwrapping our spiritual gifts. First of all, we've seen the provision of spiritual gifts. Every person in this room who knows the Lord Jesus Christ has at least one spiritual gift. Secondly, the panoply of spiritual gifts. There are speaking gifts, there are serving gifts. Look at the list of gifts in the Bible and try to figure out which one do you have. Experiment with them. Then there is the practice of spiritual gifts. Begin to practice your spiritual gift. Then there is the purpose of spiritual gifts. And then the power of gifts. And then finally, the praise of spiritual gifts. And so what does God want from each one of us in this room? God wants an army, not an audience. God wants an army, not an audience. God wants a battleship, not a cruise ship. Now, on a battleship, it's all hands on deck. On a cruise ship, what are you doing? You are there for people to serve you. And so God wants a battleship, not a cruise ship. And so what does this mean for us? Notice, if you will, the diagram up on the screen. You have the community here. 
This would represent people in our community here that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Our goal is to move them from the community to commission. So these are people that are lost. We want to turn the community into a what? A crowd. The crowd are people that come to church maybe once or twice a year. We call them Christers. Christmas and Easter is when they come. Then we want to move the crowd to the congregation. These are people that attend church on a regular basis. They congregate. They come to church. But then you want to move them to being what? Committed. Committed are people that read the word. They're praying. They're seeking the Lord. They're maturing in their walk with God. But then you want to move that committed to the core. Who are the core? These are the ones that unwrap their spiritual gift. These are the ones that use their gifts to serve other people. And eventually, they are commissioned. And so God wants to move people from being lost to being saved to where they're part of the core of the church. So let me ask you a question. Where do you fall in that diagram? Are you part of the crowd, congregation, committed, core, commission? Where are you at? God wants you to move you there. Now, as I mentioned the next slide up here, you'll notice our mission is to reach, grow, serve, reproduce. We offer several classes to help you do each one of these. We have Reach 101, then we have 201. We're going to be in January doing the Serve 301 class where we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. It's about a two and a half hour class. You'll take a test and we'll go over spiritual gifts. This was a microcosm of what that class is going to be. And so next week we'll have a sign up for that. Sign up for class 301 if you don't know your gifts. But listen, if you don't know what your gifts are, get involved. Step up and serve. That's the way God helps you discover your spiritual gifts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us and reminding us that we need to unwrap our spiritual gifts to serve others. I pray, Father, that everyone in this room would be committed to using their gifts to serve others. And I know, Father, everyone is at a different stage. But I pray, Father, that we would use our gifts to serve others so that the body of Christ may benefit. And if you're sitting here this morning, where are you at in terms of your gifts? What is the next step for you that God would have you do in terms of service? If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says... Being a good person will not get you into heaven. If you're willing to repent of your sins and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he will save you and he will forgive you of all your sins, but you must trust in him alone. If you've never done that, talk to me after the service. Father, we thank you this morning for all that you're doing in and through Northwest Chapel. We pray for your continued blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget on the way out, say to hi somebody you don't know. On the information rack, we have a list of our ministries. God bless you and have a great Thursday as you celebrate with family.